you have questions? Do you need answers? The Pastor Study will help you find those answers through God's Word. Our teacher today is Pastor Tom Brock. The Pastor Study is sponsored by pastorstudy.org. So grab your Bible and join us for The Pastor Study. Welcome to the Pastor Study. Many years ago, when I was in high school, I was raised in a good, traditional Lutheran church. My buddy was raised in a very liberal congregational church, but, you know, a Christian church, I thought. And we're talking one day, and I just mentioned when Jesus comes back, and he stops me, he says, when Jesus what? I said, well, you know, at the second coming of Christ, when Jesus returns, what? Jesus is coming back? <laughs> and here's someone who had been raised in a Christian church, had never heard about the second coming of Christ. What our goal is on this half-hour program is to give you the basics of how the world will end. We're going to discover now four very important things are going to happen at the end of time, and I want you to know what they are. So if you would, just let's take a minute, let's pray first, and then I'll take you through the scriptures about the four final events. Let's pray. Father, we do want to pray for anyone listening to this program that doesn't know how the world's going to end, that you would speak to each of us now, and then, Lord, more than anything, help us be ready, because it could happen tonight. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, how will the world end? Four events. Number one, this comes from Matthew chapter 24, Jesus said, But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of the heaven will be shaken, and then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather together his elect, chosen ones, from the four winds, from one end of the sky to the other. The first thing that happens at the end of time, Jesus publicly descends in the clouds. Everybody will see Jesus come down in the sky. Now, how that is going to happen, only the Lord knows, because here is the globe. Have you ever thought of this? We are over here in the United States. Let's say Jesus comes down in the sky. Well, we've got one skyline. People in China have a totally different skyline. How will Jesus come down in the clouds for every eye to see him? Only the Lord knows how he's going to do that, but he did make the heavens and the earth. He, he will be able to pull that off. But the first thing that happens is you'll hear trumpets, and it could happen tonight, and then everyone will see Christ descend in the clouds. Now, someone asked me some time ago, but when Jesus comes back, where will he be born this time? And this person thought, you know, he was born in Bethlehem. Where will he be? New York? And I said, no. The second coming of Christ, he's not born on earth again. He's not going to grow up again. That was the first coming of Christ. Second coming, he's coming down in the clouds for every eye to see him, very public. He won't be born on earth anymore. <laughs> 
So the first thing that happens, Jesus comes down in the clouds. The second thing that happens is from John chapter 5, verse 28, Jesus said, Do not marvel at this. The hour is coming in which all who are in the graves or the tombs will hear his voice, and they will come forth, they that did the good to the resurrection of life, they that did the evil to a resurrection of judgment. Number one, he comes down in the clouds. Second thing that happens, the dead are raised. All the dead will come up. Now, I, I think of all the questions that I get asked as a pastor, the one I get asked maybe the very most is, where's my grandma right now? She's dead. Is she sleeping until judgment day when Christ returns? Or is she alive in heaven right now with the Lord? And th the truth is, some of this only the Lord knows how it all pans out. But let me give you two teachings in the Bible. The Bible does teach that on the last day we will be raised in our imperishable new bodies. But it also talks about us going to be immediately with the Lord. Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. When Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration, Moses and Elijah from the Old Testament are alive and awake and they're talking to Jesus. They're not asleep. And Paul says that I would rather depart and be with Christ for that's far better. So it sounds like immediately go to heaven. Or, or do you wait to be raised on Judgment Day? Well, they're both true. I think the way to put it together is your spirit immediately goes to heaven when you die, but you don't get your perfect new resurrection body until the last day. For that, even Grandma is waiting and all the saints in heaven are waiting to be raised imperishable in their perfect new bodies. But he will raise all the dead. Do you know that they discovered a 3,000-year-old tomb in Egypt? And they had the mummied body in there and then artifacts of the dead person. And they found a jar of peas, very round, hard peas. Someone took those round, hard peas that had been dead for 3,000 years, carefully planted them in underneath a pane of glass and with the, the light. And 3,000 years after these peas were put into that grave, they sprouted to life again. <laughs> That's going to happen on Judgment Day. People that have been put into the ground and you forgot about them, everyone will be raised from the dead. And how can God do that if people have been cremated? Well, God can do it. I, do you remember George Carlin, the comedian? George Carlin was an atheist, and in his last years, some of his comedy routines were very evil, and he said some things about God and Jesus that were just scary, that anybody would talk about Jesus like that. Well, now he's dead. After George Carlin died, he was cremated, and his ashes were scattered. And I read that and I thought, does he think he's getting away from God? <laughs> the Bible teaches if you were buried at sea, no matter where you were, God in the last day will put you back together. Number one, Jesus comes down in the clouds, but the second thing he does, he raises all the dead. And then he does the third thing. This comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. He comes down in the clouds, he raises the dead, and then the third thing that happens, Jesus will judge the world. Now some people think, well, because we Christians are saved, we don't have to go through judgment day, 
Paul is just talking about the unbelievers in 2 Corinthians 5? No, he isn't. 2 Corinthians 5 is written to believers. And Paul says we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So whether you're an unbeliever or a believer or a Christian, a pagan, a whatever, everybody will be judged. And let me say this, especially as a Christian, when you stand before God on judgment day, God will expect you to have led a holy life, a holy life. And, and we need to know that now rather than discovering that someday at the second coming. Let's talk about Judgment Day. I'm going to say something now you're not going to hear on MTV, and you're not going to hear this uh, at Entertainment Tonight or Extra Extra, or these awful entertainment shows. Let me say something now that you almost never hear anymore, and here it is. Sex outside of marriage is a sin. And it's not a little sin, it's called fornication. And hear these words from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 through 11. Paul the Apostle writes, Don't be deceived. Do you not know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor robbers, nor revilers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, Corinthians, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. In other words, if you're living in sin, you're not going to heaven. If you, if you are living with your boyfriend or with your girlfriend and you came to me to marry you, I couldn't do it. Here's what I'd have to say. If you're willing to live apart and repent and ask God to forgive you and then we'll do some pre-marriage counseling, then I can marry you. But if you're going to keep living in sin and expect me to put the blessing of God on that, I can't do it. So one day I get a phone call and this young woman wants me to meet with her fiancé and herself, so I'll marry him and I could see that they were living at the same address, I said, you know, my policy is you guys are going to have to move out and repent before I'm going to marry you. Well, I don't know if we'll do that, but we, we really think it's a pretty church. We want to talk to you. So she comes in my office. She and her boyfriend sit down, and I just started out. I did it lovingly and kindly, but I showed them 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, fornicators will not go to heaven, and I shared that with them, and boy, does he start squirming in his seat. She starts crying. She was raised in the church. She knew what she was doing was wrong, but he starts squirming, and you could tell he wanted to get out of that room. <laughs> so finally, I looked at him and I said, you're not liking this, are you? <laughs> and I don't know that he answered, but they got up, they left, I, but I basically said, I'm telling you guys this because I love you. I want you to go to heaven for eternity and not hell. You need to repent and stop having sex and ask God to forgive you and then get married. Well, never saw him again, but my point is, Jesus will judge the world, Christians included, and if you're living in impenitent sin, you're going to be in trouble. Let me share something personal right now. I struggle with same-sex attraction, that temptation to homosexual stuff. I know it's a sin. So by the grace of God, I'm fighting the good fight, and I'm saying no to it. Well, my former bishop, Herbert Chilstrom, liberal one-time head bishop of the ELCA Lutheran Church, recently wrote a letter to the editor in the Star Tribune urging the Catholic bishops to stop being against homosexuality and, and start being in favor of homosexual marriage. And I read that, and this was my bishop once upon a time, and he grieves me that he's so liberal on this. So I wrote a letter back to the Star Tribune, which they printed. 
Star Tribune is a pretty liberal newspaper, but here's what I said, and they printed it. Uh, letter to the editor. I am a pastor who struggles with same-sex attraction. But 1 Corinthians 6 says people who live in that lifestyle will not go to heaven. Therefore, it's important not to get into that lifestyle and to turn from it and to trust in Christ. Therefore, I am grieved that my former bishop, Bishop Chilstrom, is following the world and not the word. And they printed it. And I tell you, everybody, we live in a day and age when even bishops in the church are telling you, you don't need to be holy. We've got to tell people three things happen at the last day. Jesus comes down in the cloud, raises the dead, and then he judges us according to this, according to by what we've done. Fourth thing that happens. This is from 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. But the day of the Lord, the second coming, will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you ought to be in holy conduct and godliness looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat but according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, last verse, since you are, beloved, looking for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless, and blameless. The last thing that happens, the fourth and final thing that happens is everything dissolves with fire, melts with intense heat. In other words, this is the world. See this? <laughs> this is the world. This is the day of the Lord. And this is the world on the day of the Lord. Everything it says dissolves. So your beautiful house, your, your car, everything you have that you own, one day going to be a puddle. And the only thing left standing at the end of time will be you standing alone before God. So let's not live for things that are going to dissolve. I, I found a plaque that I hang up in my house, and it says this. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Let me repeat that. We only have one life. It'll soon be passed. Only what you do for Christ will last and will stand through the dissolution. All right, so let's review. How is the world going to end? Number one, Jesus comes down in the clouds for every eye to see. Number two, all the dead will be raised, whether you are cremated or not. Number three, everybody gets judged. And number four, then everything melts with fire and we go into the new heavens and the new earth. Now keep those in your head. Some people have no idea how the world's going to end. L let me sh they'll come in handy. Keep those four things in your head. For instance, the doorbell rings. And I answer the door, and here's a member of the Unification Church, a Mooney. Uh, the Reverend Sung Myung Moon was born in Korea in 1920, and his followers go door to door selling carnations, trying to raise money, because the Reverend Moon is the second coming of Jesus Christ. So this person's at the door, and, and I'm, I'm selling uh, carnations for a Christian charity. I said, is this the Unification Church? Yes. I said, I don't think that's a Christian charity. Well, yes, well, we, and I said, you know, 
the Reverend Moon is not the second coming of Christ. Well, yes, because remember the verse where Jesus said, as the lightning flashes from the east to the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Well, the Reverend Moon was born in the east, and now he's come to the west. And I'm thinking, talk about twisting a verse. And I said to this, uh, this guy, let me tell you why I know the Reverend Moon is not the second coming of Christ. He hasn't floated down in the clouds for every eye to see. He hasn't raised the dead. He hasn't judged the world. And he hasn't melted the universe with fire. Until he does those four things, he's a $3 bill. <laughs> I was flying to Florida. I'm next to this 12-year-old boy. Uh, the plane takes off. I prayed before I got on the plane. Put me next to somebody to share the gospel with. So we talked for a little bit. And uh, he found out I'm a pastor. And I said, do you go to church? Oh, yes. First Baptist Church of Sarasota. I said, well, good. Well, can I ask you some questions about what you believe? He said, sure. I said, do you know what the Trinity is? He said, I, I've never heard of that. I said, well, there's one God in three persons, God the Father who made us, the Son who died on the cross, the Holy Spirit. Not three gods, one God, but all three persons are God and eternal and equal. And now he knew Jesus was God, but he didn't quite know what the Trinity was. So I said, let me ask you another question. Do you know how the world's going to end? And he said, I didn't know it was going to end. So I explained what I just preached. He comes down in the clouds, raises the dead, judges the world, everything melts. Well, he didn't know any of this. So finally, I got, thought we could better get to the big one. I said, let's say this plane goes down in flames. Or we're up in the air and Jesus comes down at the second coming. Let's just say it's all over one way or another. Do you know, do you know where you'd go for eternity? And this 12-year-old boy just got kind of quiet. And he said, I don't know where I'd go. And so I shared with him what's called the gospel, the good news. And I said to him, we all deserve to go to hell because we're all sinners. You can't get to heaven by being good because you're not. We need a savior. We're sinful. God came down from heaven, born in a manger. God became a human. For 32 years, he lived the perfect life that we couldn't. Then he, because he was sinless, could pay for our sins. He goes to the cross, pays for our sins. He gets punished in our place so God the Father could forgive us. Three days later, Jesus rose from the dead, and he promises you if you believe in the Lord Jesus, you will be saved. And we had that good long talk. Then we talked about other things, but I can remember before the plane landed, he brought it all up again. He said, now, I, I got to see if I understand this. You don't have to die to discover where you're going to go for eternity. You can know right now. I said, that's right, because the Bible says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. It doesn't say you might be saved. It says you will. So I know right now, even though I'm a sinner, but because of Christ and his death for me, I know I'm going to heaven. And that was the end of the conversation. The, the point is, though, everybody, on this, there's going to be a second coming or it's going to be your death. Either you die or you meet Jesus in the sky at the second coming, but everybody's going to die unless he comes in our lifetime. How can I be ready for the second coming? You need to be sorry for your sins, turn from them, trust in Jesus to save you by his grace, by his death on the cross, by which he made payment. And the Bible promises you, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Amen. Welcome to the portion of the pastor's study where we now ask Pastor Brock to share with us his knowledge of scripture and his insights to answer questions we have regarding the Bible, our Lord, and our everyday walk with him. Pastor Brock, let's talk a little bit further about how the world's going to end and a few more questions about it. When you said about Jesus descending in the clouds and how this is going to be shown to everybody, 
What's your feeling about the way technology has changed? Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. we saw the tsunami that yeah. ripped through Asia mm -hmm. right on our TV yeah. as it was happening. Yeah, and some people have speculated that the way everybody will see Jesus return in the clouds will be through television. And maybe, I mean, I've always thought it's going to be much more supernatural than that, that no matter where you're at, if you have a TV in front of you or not, you're going to see it. That's kind of more the way I lean. But against some of this stuff, we've got to leave the details to God. Okay. Yeah. So explain, what is the rapture? Is yeah. That the word rapture means caught up. And this is a controversial issue. I believe in the rapture that we'll, we will be caught up, like Paul says in Thessalonians. But the way I read that text, we're caught up when Jesus comes down. So when do we Christians go to heaven? When Jesus descends at the second coming. There's a very popular teaching in American Christianity called the pre-tribulation rapture of the church, meaning before the tribulation, before things get really horrible with the Antichrist preceding Christ and everything, all the Christians disappear and go to heaven seven years before Jesus comes back. And they miss what's called the tribulation and the Antichrist cutting people's heads off and persecuting the church. I'd love to believe that, Jackie. I just don't see it biblically. And, and the people that I've argued with on this, they show me verses that they think teaches this, the pre-tribulation rapture of the church. I just don't think those verses teach what they say. And my, my understanding is we're on the earth until the second coming. And we're not promised uh, that we're, we're promised persecution in this world, not freedom from persecution. I mean, if you, asked a, if you asked a Christian in North Korea right now, do you think the church will go through the tribulation? They'll say, what do you mean, will? We've been going through it for 25 years. You know? So um, I'd love to believe in the pre-tribulation rapture. And, and here's here, one other thing, Jackie. This is not the doctrine of the Trinity. Some people think if you don't believe in the pre-tribulation rapture, you've just denied some basic tenet of the faith no, you haven't. I mean, I, I know some wonderful Christian people, so do you, at our church that, that believe in the pre-tribulation rapture. I think they're wrong, but I, I, I don't doubt their salvation. This is not a salvation issue. So, Pastor Brock, does the temple in Jerusalem have to be rebuilt before the Antichrist yeah. appears? If you read 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, that's one of the clearest passages where the Apostle Paul talks about the coming Antichrist. And the Antichrist is not going to call himself the Antichrist, but he's going to be the Antichrist. And in 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul talks about this man of lawlessness coming. And uh, or is it First Thessalonians? I've got the wrong chapter here. Anyway, the, uh, the, the man of lawlessness will come and he will take a seat in the temple and proclaim himself to be God. And people will worship him and follow him as the Antichrist. They will be deceived. And then Christ returns and wipes him out. Um, some people, because of that verse, think the temple has to be rebuilt in Jerusalem, which was destroyed back in 70 A.D. and has never been rebuilt. And now the Dome of the Rock, rock the Muslim mosque, sits on the only place the Jews can rebuild their temple. And if there's an earthquake and the Dome of the Rock is eaten up, I'm going to start believing in a literal <laughs> rebuilding of the temple. But it's possible that that's not a, the literal temple. It can be a way of just saying the Antichrist will claim to be God. And, and so I don't think there has to be a literal rebuilding of the temple, but again, some of this only the Lord's know. For instance, Luther in the 1500s thought the Pope was the Antichrist. Uh, many Christians during World War II thought Hitler was the Antichrist. When I was in college, some people thought Henry Kissinger was the Antichrist. But there will be an Antichrist with a couple, capital A coming at the end of time. Okay, Pastor Buck, 
What exactly is the millennium? You hear yeah. that talked about with the end times. If you read Revelation chapter 20, I mean, here's where it gets difficult. Everywhere else in the New Testament, almost, it sounds like when Jesus comes down, it's over. New heavens and new earth. Heaven or hell. But then in Revelation chapter 20, it's kind of different. Jesus comes down at the second coming. Satan is bound and cast into the abyss for a thousand years. And then after Jesus has reigned on earth for a thousand years, Satan is let out of his pit and he deceives some of the nations and there's a war and Jesus destroys those other nations. And so the, the, the question on this is, are we to look to, for a literal thousand year reign of Christ on earth? And, and some people would say, this is the book of Revelation after all. It's a vision. You're not supposed to push everything literally. You know, it's, it, there's lots of sy mm -hmm. symbolism going on. Or is Jesus going to reign on earth literally for a thousand years? H how do you take this? I, I tend to be literal on that. But again, this is one of those things that Christians in full conscience can disagree on. Okay. Um, is there a main t teaching about the second coming in the New Testament? Is, you mean what's the main point? Yeah. Here's what I would say. I wouldn't get lost in all the rapture stuff and when, when things will happen. And th there, there will be signs of the second coming. The Jews, many Jews will come to Christ, Romans chapter 11. The, uh, the nations will be evangelized, Matthew 27, is it? Uh, or 6. But um, there are signs. But the main thing is the main thing. He comes down in the clouds, raises the dead, judges the world, and everything melts. So what are some of the signs of the end times? Okay. Let's go through those. Real quick, I, I would say that when you see a lot of Jews coming to Christ, the way I read R Romans 11, that's a sign that the end is near. Jesus said the nations must first hear the gospel and then the end will come. I think if, when you see a lot of nations. Jesus said many false prophets will arise, but that's been true for 2,000 years. Uh, but when you see that getting heavy, maybe that's also a sign. So one more question mm -hmm. before we close up our program today. Do you think we're living in the end times, Pastor Brock? The best I can say is I don't know. You know, you've got to be careful because people in the 1500s thought it was the end. People during World War II really thought it was the end, some of them. So it, it, I think maybe we're at the end of our American culture. We've become so godless that maybe America will be destroyed. That doesn't necessarily mean the world is about to be destroyed. So all I can say is I don't know, and Jesus said nobody knows the day or hour, so don't guess about it is my thought. So what would you tell a person to do to be ready for the Well, end? that's good, and that's the important question, everybody. If you're not sure where you're going to spend eternity, you need to just take some time, get alone with God, confess your sins to him, ask forgiveness for your sins, and then say, God, from now on I'm trusting in Jesus, that his death on the cross, that he paid for my sins, he took the punishment I deserve, God, so you could forgive me, and I'm going to trust that my sins are forgiven, I'm going to heaven because your Bible says believe and be saved, and that's what I would do. Well, we and get into a good church. <laughs> we want to thank you for being with us this week. At the end of the program, you're going to see our uh, end credits and the address of our website. I'd invite you to check that out and see what you can do to help further this ministry and also to hear previous programs. We pray that God will be with you this week, granting you his richest blessings until we're together again next time. Thank you for tuning into the Pastor's Study. We ask, would you pray for our ministry as we seek to spread the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ? And would you pray about supporting this ministry?
Our address is The Pastor Study, 5200 Emerson Avenue North, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55430. Our website is pastorstudy.org. And our phone number is 763-260-4484. May God richly bless you and join us next week at the same time as we study God's Word. Until then, may the blessing of our one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you.